Hello, everybody. Welcome to Guys 5 Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicone. You are listening to episode 198 of the podcast, and tonight we are covering the top five horror movies of 2008. Frank, we only have this episode and another one left to finish the 2000s. Um, how no are we? Uh, why don't you tell me? Um, I, I I have no idea. We'll see. Um, <laughs> we have like five five ideas, like I think that are like mm. moving around. So 2008, I was um, not your list necessarily, but like uh, it seems like you know a lot of these movies that were released this year or a lot of other movies besides me, but um, uh, that you've been telling me about. But um, I was kind of nonplussed as a year just looking over the list of movies. It's either stuff I've never heard of before or just stuff that is just kind of like, eh. Um, there was a really uh, funny Spin Chagrin movie that came out this year. Is that Uninvited? No, the Alphabet Killer. Oh right, that yeah, Elijah, yeah, yeah. Elijah Dushku, Carrie Ellis. Yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. movie is absolute trash. Yeah, that was fun to fun to hear about. Um, it's a lot of remakes and a lot of like unnecessary sequels, like sequels that are direct video sequels from long before. Mm-hmm. Um, although the April Fool's Day remake isn't like terrible, but like, why do you need to make it? Sure. Um. Yeah, I was going through the list too because it's been a long time since I made the list for the two thousands, like a year, I guess, probably since I. No, oh, yeah, almost like last list. December. Yep. Yeah. Um. So I had like forgotten a lot of the movies that were on it, and I, I think there's small movies that are like um, like direct to video shit, like The Burrowers, which is a Western Tremors movie. Mm-hmm. That's not terrible. I mean, it's a fine movie, you know, but it's nothing like super great about it. Cloverfield, which you, you know, we talked about this off air, but like was a huge like cultural phenomenon. But when you actually watch it again, like it's fine, you know, it's, it's okay. Um, as a found footage movie and a giant monster movie. Um, there's a sequel to a Swedish horror movie that almost made 2006 or seven called Cold Prey 2. Um, I really like the first Cold Prey. It's a good um, stalker slasher movie set in the snow in like a ski lodge. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, just a bunch of crap. Um, I'm going through again, like looking at it. Yeah. Like there's stuff like like Diary of the Dead, you know, which <laughs> right. whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, I had like hope for that when it came out, but it was terrible. Um, there's a movie you just asked me about before we started uh the podcast eden lake mm-hmm. which has a lot of like fan acclaim to it um but it's kind of a torture porn movie and i'm not a huge fan um it's just makes you uncomfortable for uncomfortable sake right um it's also a sequel to a indie movie from earlier in the 2000s i think like maybe oh three called feast um, oh yeah mm-hmm. about people trapped in a diner that are getting attacked by like a monster um, there's a sequel to that, which I've actually never seen. So that might be good. Um, but yeah, I'm already down to G and I haven't found H. Uh, yeah, a bunch of crap. Um, Jesus, there's a w- remake of a 70s um, Australian movie called Long Weekend um, with Caviezel in it. 
that I've actually never seen. So that I don't know. The original movie's fine. Um, there's Martyrs came out this year, and Martyrs mm-hmm. is hugely controversial horror movie. Um, I think Martyrs is one of the most effective movies I've ever seen for what it's trying to do. Yeah. Um, but I don't ever want to watch it again. I've actually tried to watch it again, and I got like halfway through it and i just said you know what i'm done like i can't watch any more of this yeah. um i'll have to watch it someday incredibly well made um but really really the practical effects are super graphic in it and um it's just really depressing like the overall theme of the movie is um really um grim i guess i don't know mm-hmm. um so I, I would never recommend it to anyone, but I think if you have a firm disposition and, you know, like a, whatever strong constitution, I think maybe you could sit through it. Yeah. Uh, there's another indie torture porn movie called philosophy of a knife. Um, that's, that's okay. I mean, it's, it's well-made. Um, the one movie that I thought was, one of my things that I think was a really big miss was um, a zombie horror, like post-apocalyptic called Pontypool. Okay. Which is pretty fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And I can, I don't know. I must've missed it last year when I was looking over it. So I definitely would have put it on. Um, although how, I don't know what I would have taken off our list. Cause I like, how do you spell that? It's P O N T Y P O O L. Okay. I got it. Um, it's, it's a really clever take on that on that genre um there's also repo the genetic opera which is kind of a funny like horror musical sort Mm of um that i enjoyed um and then the ruins came out this year um good um (laughs) which like mayan horror movie i don't know um yeah that's 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 I was really surprised when I saw that that was this year. Um, Because I remember that you liked it. Um, But I just, I didn't even find out until today that it was this year. But um, when I watched that, like, I I have a thing with uh, plants anyway. Um, I think (laughs) that we uh, talked about a couple times, probably it's come up on the podcast, maybe, but it's like uh, where I have like recurring dreams about like plants growing into me and stuff. So it was really uncomfortable for me to watch. plants growing out of me i should i guess but um yeah that that was really uncomfortable and i I felt pretty effective overall so yeah it's good um uh, what was the other one i was talking oh there's a a swedish horror movie called sauna which is Mm -hmm. um i don't even know what you call it like a historical horror kind of um that's pretty good um and i think that's streaming somewhere right now it might be on it might be on a youtube um, and then, uh, there's another indie called the wild man of the Navidad, which is a Bigfoot horror movie that, um, I actually kind of enjoyed like in spite of myself. Um, yeah, that's on Tubi right now. Yeah, that's, it's, it's worth watching. Um, I can't remember if it's found footage or not. I think there's found footage elements to it, but I don't think it's a hundred percent found footage. Um, so yeah, so you have a decent amount of like kind of also ran stuff, um, but I think the five movies we're going to talk about tonight really are like like the legit top five. Yeah, 
um, from this year. So, and then a whole bunch of crappy horror sequels and remakes. (laughs) Oh, the fucking quarantine with what's her name, Jennifer Carpenter, or something like that. Um, I don't know. Dexter's sister. Yeah, yeah. Awful, awful. Oh yeah, the happening was this year, right? Yeah, the happening. The happening again. I made this joke like whatever off air but that's if we did a list of top top 10 comedies from 2008 (laughs) i'd put the happening on that list (laughs) you know what's funny is that like if we're still doing the podcast several years from now we might need to do like a mark Wahlberg retrospective in the same way we did nicholas cage (laughs) (laughs) that's a dude that like misses 80 percent of the shots he takes Mm mm-hmm but then every once in a while, it's just like cast exactly right in a movie and is super fun to watch. Yeah. But the other, you know, the majority of the time, wolf. Dude, Wait. I would. Some of the ideas that we have for the podcast, I think there's a lot of like uh, in the future, at least. I think there's a lot of different things we could do. And I would love to do a Mark Wahlberg journey um, through that guy's career. Um absolutely <clears throat> i told you that so my wife is super into um yes uh action movies mm-hmm. I, I don't know if we talked about this like on the podcast or not but she had me watch like every action movie on netflix when i was on <laughs> when i was with her yeah recently and i have seen so many fucking mark Wahlberg starring action vehicles where he plays like a super genius of like military strategy and it's the most <laughs> unbelievable thing ever right the, uh, it, came, it came up it came up briefly uh just to plug the spin chagrin uh two episodes ago frank um reviewed uh uncharted uh with mark oh, right, right. um but yeah that dude's some he's something yeah <laughs> he's, uh, the best thing i saw of him where he was like the most believable and i thought he was fine in uncharted i thought he was actually probably the best part of that movie in mm-hmm. terms of acting. but he's in a netflix original or i think it's a netflix original um but it's on netflix called like fuck i can't remember what it's called it's like somebody's name shit damn we talked about it too like briefly i'm, I'm gonna look it up because that's really confidential do. yeah that's it yeah it's not a great movie, but he, it, it's just, it's the exact right role for him. Right. Basically. So, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty, um, I was, I was pretty okay with that movie, which I can't say about every other movie as I saw. Yeah. Oh, Peter Berg directed that. Okay. I mean, he's confident. Yeah, he definitely is. Um, yeah, no, I would, I would love, to, I, I would love to know what Mark Wahlberg thinks of things too. Um, so, um, I'll tell you in a Boston accent. Uh, yeah, yes, he will. Like, can, I, oh God, I didn't even think about the fact that he's fucking Sully. Uh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, all right. So, you want to go ahead and get started with this list? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right. So, uh, number five on your list is um movie called left bank uh belgian correct uh yeah dutch um, i guess it is directed by peter von hayes uh stars lean cuppins Matthias schonarts and cian eggers 
has an 83% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, but only a 40% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little about this one and why I made the list? I think the 40% is because not much happens for long stretches of time in this movie. Um, and I think that people can get kind of bored. But yeah. Um, yeah, so taking place in Antwerp, which is a Belgian city, the Flemish side of Belgium, mm. from what my research, because I always get those fucking Nordic countries confused, right. and I don't know who's who. Um, starring, like, the poor man's uh, Parker Posey and the poor man's Ryan Gosling as your two leads. Um, or Mateus. What's that? Or Mateus. He's 100% like, Everyone in this, so I don't know what it is about Belgium. Maybe it's the beer or whatever. But everyone in this movie looks like they all have they all have a five o'clock shadow, <laughs> including the female lead on her knee for like the last twenty minutes of the movie, which is just weird and never really explained. Uh-huh. Um, they all look drunk, like they're half drunk, like they've had mimosas for breakfast, <laughs> lunch, and dinner, and they're just they got like the sweats. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. And I'm not trying to down it. It's just really fucking weird, like, watching this movie, how pasty and gross everybody looks. Um, But anyway, so Maria, um, the lead lead character, she's a semi-professional runner, um, part of, like, the Belgian Nationals team. Um, She's young, and she's considered, like, this rising star. Uh, She puts a lot of pressure on herself to be successful. Um, and as a result, she, um, strains herself, um, and basically is told that she can't run because she develops this, I can't remember like how they described it, but she develops this condition where she can't, she faints and they're afraid that it's like the strain she's putting on her body. So she's Mm -hmm. not allowed to run. So in the interim, she meets this dude, um, who's charming He's a used car salesman, basically, but he lives in this luxury apartment on the left bank, which is this exclusive area of um, wherever they are, Belgium, whatever, Antwerp, right, Antwerp. Um, And he kind of like hits on her at the gym and then she meets him again randomly. And then after she passes out, she or no, she meets him and then she gets sick and she can't run. So that's when they start to really spend a lot of time together. He asks her to move in with him and she agrees in pretty short order um, to the dismay of her mother. Um, so they end up moving in together and they move into this like posh exclusive um, high rise apartment building in Antwerp. And immediately she starts to not really see or we anything weird. There's nothing like really supernatural in the movie, but get kind of like a creepy feeling about the place. She finds out that the person that lived there before them uh, disappeared mysteriously. She has a couple of weird encounters with, uh, which actually end up being red herrings, but with a Russian tenant of the apartment. Um, and she's drawn to this room in the basement that's locked and she can't get in. Um, but where at the beginning of the movie, you see this other woman go in there and kind of get like, um, disappeared kind of which is the previous tenant lady um, so a large portion of the movie until you get to about I'd say like 50 to 60% in 
is really just this kind of like slow drama about her and her life and like her budding relationship with this dude. Um, then she contacts the boyfriend. The, one of the neighbors brings a box of shit um, related to the woman that disappeared. And um, her mother also starts to talk about like some weird things in the area. Um, so she gets in contact with the boyfriend of the woman that disappeared and she finds out that um, there's been a lot of disappearances in the area. Um, her boyfriend, fuck, what is what is his name? Peter or something like that. Uh, Bobby. Bobby um starts to get really possessive and doesn't really want her hanging out with anybody. Um, he's the guild master of this archery guild, which is like discussed like it's some normal thing. So maybe I don't know. Like that's mm. you know. Like they have like real D and D lives over in in fucking the <laughs> Netherlands. Right. Um. Anyway, the end result is that he's part of this cult. Um. And is possibly immortal. Did you get that impression? I that didn't... he's been alive for like. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I did. Years. Right. They don't really. So they. She find. She goes to the guild house eventually. And she finds these photographs of him, right? Like going back through time. But mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if it was meant to imply that his relative, like it's always been like his relatives have always looked like him. Um, although it does explain why his parents are dead and no real explanation beyond that. Um, anyway, so she runs afoul of this cult, he captures her. Um, basically knocks her out and locks her in a closet and the Russian, his Russian friend who you find out is not like really anybody like skeevy he's just a dude that lives there um, reluctantly like helps him like lock her in a room and then the cops come and the Russian guy's like look he has her locked up in his, his bedroom and all of a sudden everybody gets shot with arrows and they die which is actually like one of the cooler parts of the movie um, so she's taken into the room in the basement, which is now open. And in that room, there's a giant pit of like oily mud. Um, and there's this ritual that happens and she gets pushed into the pit. and She ends up coming out of a vagina Yes, on the other end because she's reincarnated um, as a baby to this couple. Um, and presumably to have like a happy life after that. Uh, which is actually one of the more positive endings to a horror movie ever for a movie that like pretty dour for this entire running sure. time. Um, and feels really gross. Like she's, she's a pretty attractive woman, but every, like even like the sex scenes just feel like gritty and dirty. And I guess that's kind of on purpose, but um, it's not like a clean, you don't feel clean watching it. Like I don't ever want right. to go to the Netherlands now. Cause I just feel like it's just like dirt <laughs> everywhere. Um, but it's decent performances, you know, I think the, it's got some elements of the tenant. It's got some elements of wicker man in it. You know, um, I really think the reveal of like the fact that he's been doing this over and over, um, I think is pretty, pretty well done. Mm-hmm. That's a creepy scene inside the, the hunting or the archery lodge. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it was a movie that, I don't know, remember how I found it. I didn't watch it until... I mean, I've only seen this movie in the past, like, four or five years. 
Um, I don't remember like where I heard about it, maybe some hidden gems show or something. Right. Um, but I was impressed by it. I thought that it was, it's really competently filmed. The dude that directed it hasn't done like anything really since he's done like a bunch of TV, but, um, he's done a couple other movies that actually sound pretty bad mm-hmm. and then like television. So I don't know, but yeah, I, I thought it was the only thing I don't like about the direction is every once in a while, like he does this statico, like jagging, janky, jangly camera shit. That's really annoying. Um, that would be my only criticism is that some of the direction feels really amateurish. So I guess it kind of makes sense though that he ends up going on to do TV, like not to insult television, but like it's got a very TV feel to it. Um, yeah, it, it's it's helped a lot by the cinematography. I don't know if it's the direction so much as whoever the cinematographer was on it, which yes, that's right, and good performances and some pretty decent like practical effects. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't really go into they don't really go into a whole lot of anything. I mean, like a lot of the movie again is like slow burn and. You know, it, it it takes a minute to get anywhere in the movie. Um, but ultimately, like I think, you know, pretty pretty well done and enjoyable and it's free on AMC plus or not free, I guess, because you gotta pay for that shit. But it's yeah. streaming on AMC plus. Um and it's pretty short, like what, two an hour and forty minutes or something? Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, with credits so probably like one thirty five. Yeah. Definitely worth watching, I think. So Yeah. The weakest yeah, it, movie on this list, but still a pretty strong movie in, in any other year of the 2000s, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a fine movie. Like, it it, it did a, a decent job building tension and keep you guessing of, like, where things are going and what was going on. Um, besides, like, a lot of people getting bored with it, I think, in terms of, like, the fan reaction. Because um, I read through to try to find out, like, what was going on there with that 40% score. Um, there was a repetition of people like kind of hating the ending for different reasons, um, largely because they they thought it was like kind of like a non sequitur or it was like a what the fuck type thing, um, or it was like it was okay and then they just like ruined it at the end with like this like weird shit of like her being reborn, um, <clears throat> and um, I did find one review that said the climax seems gratuitous. Uh, uh. It doesn't really follow from the story and plays like the viewer has been intentionally not giving the complete story. Um, it's like you've watched a film for an hour and a half and only to find the ending is almost into an entirely different movie that's been tacked on. Um, I think that's probably like missing the subtext, which so I think that the like some of the subtext at least, but um, I can see the reaction uh, to it. Like I think the ending kind of is a little like okay to me but um it was still a solid movie up until that point i agree with you that it's like finding her finding everything out was like really well done and everything um the whole thing with them watching the film strip from um like the 1960s yeah talking about the cult like doing the sacrifice of the um the female sacrifice and the reincarnation and whatever Mm -hmm. so that's actually the reason why the ending i think was okay like because number one, it's it's so shocking that it's a positive ending, really, like that she's being reborn as this child, and also that it just means that everything this cult was saying is one hundred percent true, right? Like, 
these right. things they're doing, it's, it seems evil and it's like all dark and weird and gross. But at the end of the day, they really are just like moving somebody into like their next life, basically. Sure. Um, which I think like is an approach that almost never happens in horror. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting and it really, it, it, it caught me off guard, but not in a bad way when I watched it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it just kind of like left me nonplussed. Um, but like, I didn't think it like ruined the movie or anything like that. Um, where I think that's, it's, it's probably that ending. All I was bringing up there is, yeah, it feels like the ending is like a big sticking point for a lot of people. And that's probably like reflects in yeah. that 40% score. I get it. Um, it also takes literally like 40 minutes to have anything happen in this movie. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's like almost like, um, like a character piece up until like up until a certain, well, I, mean, I guess it always is kind of, but like up until a certain point, like it's kind of more of a character piece about like her, um, that reviewer. That's right. That's why I copied that one specifically. Um, is their final line was I was left blah and they capitalized the L and the B. Um, clever. Yeah, we're clever. That's why they're a reviewer of shit on the internet. We did the podcast. All right. <laughs> sure, there's some middle-aged white guy too, probably. Um. So the the next movie, I I don't know. Like I uh. So the next movie on your list here is um. An adaptation of Clyde Barker, uh, The Midnight Meat Train, is directed by Ryuhei Kitamura. Stars Bradley Cooper, Vinnie Jones, um, Leslie Bibb, Brooke Shields, Roger Bart. 71% from critics, 50% from audiences. Um, This is Ryuhei Kitamura's second appearance, this uh, journey through the 2000s horror, uh, as he directed Versus as well, back in 2000. Mm. Um, One of your favorite movies. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about this one? Um, Frank, I, I, I really actually really like this movie a lot, but <clears throat> I wanted to... after it took me 16 years to like convince you to watch it <laughs> and someday what's, what's the zombie movie that I, that I, that I haven't watched yet until you put it on a list. I can't remember. Korean zombie movie, like famous now. Train like... to Busan. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. That movie's fantastic. I know. I know. I know. I understand your hesitation with the title, because um, it sounds mm. it sounds lame. Like Midnight mm. Meat Train is kind of a number one. It sounds like something you find behind the saloon doors of a video store in like 1987. <laughs> um, but based on a Clyde Barker short story from the Books of Blood, um, Cooper is a photographer who's known for capturing like. Um, really like jarring true life imagery like he's very almost like dystopian in his the stuff that he photographs uh which means that he's a struggling artist of course um his girlfriend has set him up with an interview with brooke shields who's what she's like a magazine executive or yeah. like an art, she, she, she's art, criti- art like, critic influencer type you know? highly yeah influential yeah. person like the new york art scene um who's really impressed with his work but she wants him to like really capture like some whatever some powerful imagery so she Mm -hmm. can hire um so traveling through the subway he basically stops the rape of a woman through his photographs um 
like gets these people to leave them alone by taking their picture. Um, but draws the attention of a guy who is known as the what is it, subway subway butcher or something like that. Yeah, that's a you got um who's this Vinny Jones, who's this just you know, I mean if you know who Vinny Jones is, this towering like <laughs> stone-faced guy in a suit that's going around and just like murdering people on this you know on on the subway system at night um so cooper becomes obsessed with him um captures him a couple of times on camera um including the woman that he saved who ends up you know getting murdered um and ends up trying to follow him and find out things about him um to the detriment of all relationships in his life, like basically like destroys his entire life trying to track track down who this killer is. Um and ultimately what it turns out is that the butcher serves this greater power, like almost like an elder god type thing mm-hmm. within the Parker universe, which is like, you know, like an under god. Um who he brings th- these underground creatures that live off of like some old spur of the subway corpses um that they eat to keep them alive and it's a job that's been performed i guess like forever is the implication um by different people and bradley cooper ends up you know killing him but also getting his girlfriend killed in the process and then he has to take the role of the butcher that's going to like feed these underground people um, that's a really simplified yeah. like breakdown of the plot, but I mean it's really like what happens in the movie, and a lot of the movie is the whole um, building sense of paranoia and tension, where like you know that Cooper's seeing these things, but nobody believes that Cooper's seeing these things, and you know the breakdown of like his relationships and the people around him. Um, it is really, really well done in terms of like its practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and very uh, graphic but not gratuitous I guess in terms of like the kills and stuff like Vinny yes. Jones yeah. is a really um, imposing figure and I think a surprise that there wasn't like a, they didn't try and make like a series of things with him as this character because I think it's a really great performance and a really great look Um. Cooper, I think, is good in it, and I think it's just a good story overall. Like, I really tend to like Clive Barker adaptations to um, book to film. Um, I think most times the way that he writes tends to lend itself. Like, even if people have to take some artistic license, you know, the Hellraiser, the first couple of Hellraiser movies, Candyman, this, um, even stuff like Lord of Illusion, um, In the Mouth of Madness, uh, Nightbreed. I mean, there's plenty of stuff where. I think that people take Clive Barker's like words and can do a good job, um, you know, creating something out of it. And I think this is a good example, but really well paced, um, tense, you know, scary, um, jarring. I, when you realize like what the whole ultimate, whatever goal of the, the butcher is, um, with a good twist ending, I think with, you know, Cooper having to assume that mantle, but, Really enjoyable movie. This is one, another one where like you and I were probably out getting coffee or something, and I was like, "Fuck it," you know, it's ten dollars. Like, how bad can it be? And then was really impressed by it. Yeah. And then again, have spent 
you know, the better part of a decade and a half trying to convince you that you should watch it every time it comes up. Right. And you blow me off. So why don't you tell me what you liked about it since? Um, so I just thought it was an interesting kind of uh, mystery, I suppose. Like, uh, I'd only seen one of the movies on, on this list. So the, all the rest of the four were all new to me. Um, and out of the four that I had not seen yet, um, this was the one that kept my interest, I guess, the most. Uh, I was wondering kind of like where the plot was going and like what was going on with the train. I like, you know, it kept me like kind of like wondering and guessing like off and on. I I was wondering like how, if at all, and I don't know if it really does, but um, like how like the art scene stuff like tied into it, if at all, like. Um, I was wondering why there was so much focus on that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, and I, I, and like who maybe were other more, and I, once I started realizing it was maybe something like, I don't know, more larger, more mystical, it's like, oh, is our people in the art scene involved? So it's just, uh, it's just a really engaging, I think, like mystery of like what exactly is going on here. Um, and I thought it was interesting with like the subtle things about like, you know, Bradley Cooper's character slowly seeming to like become unhinged at times and like lose yeah. his mind like um at different points like i mean he he's, he assaults his girlfriend um like at least on one occasion you might be able to argue like two occasions um and i was like wondering like where that was all going um so i i just found it a really enjoyable like you know basically a 90 minute movie to sit down and and watch and kind of like see how it plays out and i thought that the ending was uh you know was really good in terms of um the idea that he has to take over and everything and like you know live this life now um and yeah i just thought the performances were good it was well directed overall like you said it wasn't like too graphic or gratuitous like overall but it was still effective uh vinnie jones like nails like that great yeah great great villain yeah um nails that like completely um i thought all like the extras like not extras like yeah co-stars kind of in it like uh, surrounding cooper <clears throat> um particularly like brooke shields and roger bart like delivered like really strong like um you know like small performances and stuff like that so yeah i just uh i just thought it was a really enjoyable horror movie uh in the end and I didn't even know it was Clive Barker, honestly. You probably told me that at some point, like it was adapted from a short story, but <clears throat> until I like to look, look, looked it up afterwards, um, I didn't even realize. So that probably makes sense because I actually really liked a lot of the Clive Barker stuff that ends up yeah. on the screen. No one of any influence is ever going to listen to this, but I just want to say that somebody needs to adapt the fucking Thief of Always. <laughs> That's the, the Clive yeah. Barker thing that I want to see an adaptation of. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, I don't know what the whole art scene was about, I'll be honest. Like, if I'm, like, thinking about it afterwards and being critical, like... I think it's a red herring. Yeah. I think it's meant to make you think that it's one thing when it, you know... I mean, obviously, I just said red herring, that's exactly what that is. But <laughs> I really think that it's meant to, like, distract you from... To make... I think the goal is to make that end feel so completely alien and disjointed from the rest of the movie to shock you, mm. which I think might be some people's complaint, maybe, because that just comes out of nowhere, kind of, that shit. But, I mean, I think that stuff's great. Yeah. 
it's very that that's very much Clive Barker too, like that idea of this like almost alien civilization. Right. Chris right. Barker's definitely like super influenced by Lovecraft and Robert Block and um like a lot of other like writers from the you know, first part of the century. Um, mixed with like that weird, almost like psychosexual like tension that that he's he's into, mm-hmm. and I think that's the combination here, really. You know, and that idea that the thing you become obsessed with can become the thing that you become, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Like almost sure. like a metaphor that yeah, you know, Cooper's like become so obsessed with this idea of like oh I got to learn more about it that ultimately it just consumes him and it becomes his whole his whole identity. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of the uh, the fifty percent, um, roughly what was going on there is it's a it's a little, it, it's not really representative, I suppose. <clears throat> like the fifty percent, like you would think is like you know four stars versus like one stars or something. <clears throat> I mean, it has like its detractors, but it's it's really just a lot of like three star reviews, um, like kind of like averaging out so it's like kind of like yeah. a true 50 percent, like you know in the sense that like you know people just kind of feel like it's just solid um this is also we're on the cusp of it and we'll talk about it next next month but this is horror still is not like necessarily a critical darling yet right like it really right. is it follows in whatever year that is 2011 yeah that and then the Babadook, and that's where like the dam bursts, and all of a sudden people are like, "Hey, it's okay for me to say that a horror movie has like, you know, merit, right? Or it's like actually a good movie." And then now, you know, happens all the time. But yeah, yeah. Oh man, I don't want I don't want to change topics too much. Did you see they released the first shot of Nosferatu and Eggers' new movie? No, I didn't see that. It's it's a really blurry shot, but man, it looks fucking amazing. Like I am so excited for that movie. Love me some Robert Eggers. Yes, agreed. Um, first, uh, so I I feel like Ari Aster has like fallen off the cliff. Like I'm I'm still gonna watch whatever his next movie is. But Bo is afraid was torturous to me. But um, I've loved everything that Eggers has done. So. Is is this a real trailer? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen a trailer for it yet. Hmm. Okay. Oh. I just saw the trailer tonight for something. Oh, Terrifier three. Have you seen that one? Oh uh, no, I haven't. It's a Christmas. Theme. Okay. Yeah. So it actually like I mean, there's nothing really to the trailer, but we'll have to. Um, yeah. Um, okay. We'll have to. Maybe we'll do that. Um, with the spin. This coming week is look at a couple of those of some new ones that have come out. Oh yeah, there's that first shot. I see. Yeah. No, I mean Robert Eggers is fucking amazing. Um I'll watch anything that guy does. I'm super stoked. I love the North I I've actually I don't we haven't talked about this. I've watched um The Norseman um like three times since mm. I only watched it. Yeah. Every once in a while, like I'll just get a hankering and I watch that movie. Yeah. Yeah, I've been like holding off on watching the second time, just give it a little bit of distance. But yeah, I, I, I'll, you'll probably watch it again soon. Um, 
All right. So number three on your list, another enjoyable movie. Uh, Splinter is directed by Toby Wilkins, and yep. it stars Jill Wagner, Paolo Costanzo, and Jill. Oh, sorry. I had Jill Wagner twice. Um, I forgot the other guy's name. Shay Shay Wiggum. That's it. Yeah. Um, has a 76% from critics, uh, 49% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little about this one and why it made the list? So I want to first of all say that like every one of these movies is kind of like an indie horror movie, sort of. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it really shows like the power that you can have when you have a really good idea and you devote the budget that you have for your movie to like one specific thing to make it matter. Right. So in essence, this is kind of a riff on the thing um, Mm. where there's two couples, one who's this happy um, one guy's a PhD grad student in biology and his girlfriend are on a vacation together and they get kidnapped by a, um, long-term felon and his, I think it's like meth maybe is what she's addicted to, but his addict girlfriend who's going through withdrawal. Um, and they basically run over a dead animal on the road that turns out to be infected by this crazy space virus. Um, you find out that it's a mold or whatever, um, but it's a space mold. Maybe not space. I'm whatever extrapolating but it's Mm -hmm. some creature that lives by like infecting its host organism and then draining it of its blood and then moving to another host organism um so anyway so the opening scene is this guy outside of a gas station eating potato chips um who ends up getting attacked by this blurry image of what looks like a raccoon um but you find out that the bad guy, oh, I gotta look at these names because I want to say people's names a lot. Um, Dennis, Dennis yeah. who's the, the criminal, um, and his girlfriend, Lacey, um, they forced them to go to this gas station. Um, when they ran over the thing in the road, the spike shot out of it and it broke the, um, like put holes in the radiator which causes the car to overheat um so they all end up Lacey ends up getting like killed by the creature when she goes to the bathroom and then the three of them get stuck in this gas station and then that's the setting for the rest of the movie basically is they're trapped in this gas station with this creature outside and how do we escape from this creature which I think is again like limited budget so you don't have a lot of sets so you have this one set mm-hmm. that's very specific and it allows the creature to be this menace outside that you can see through the windows and it lets you build the characters inside to the point where you care about all of them and want to see them live and it creates a lot of tension and it makes for a really good movie. Yeah. Um, there's different things that happen. Um, the bio- It turns out that uh, Seth, who's you know the biology PhD student, um, is able to extrapolate a lot of information by watching, like, at one point, the corpse of Lacey tries to get into the, because the creature, the entity, whatever, can animate corpses, tries to get into the gas station, her fingers get cut off, so he's able to extrapolate a lot 
from like watching the thing move um, and realizes that it re- reacts adversely to the cold. Like you can't sense like the cold. Um, so ultimately they decide to do this thing where they lower his body temperature by um, basically like, enca- encasing him in ice so the creature can't set it. And then they let off fireworks in the back part of the building in order to draw the creature's attention away. Um, and he gets to this, there's a cop that shows up, a state trooper that shows up at one point that ends up getting killed by the creature in one of the most like graphic scenes in the movie, which is actually pretty awesome. Um, He gets ripped in half. Um, and then he, and you know, he, they use fire to like emulate the creature. And it turns out that Dennis was actually like had a heart of gold sort of, even though he kidnapped him and, he ends up like sacrificing himself and as they walk off you see the corpses of all these other animals that are infected with this thing in the distance which means that you know certain doom for the earth which again one of my favorite right. endings the right. sudden like the slow realization that everyone is doomed mm-hmm. um so here's what i love about this movie and i don't mean to gloss over like the the plot points i just think that it's a very small movie in terms yeah. of like the actual plot of the movie. And it's really just about like their survival. It's mm-hmm. truly like one of the better survival horror movies yeah. of the past 20 years. Absolutely. The practical effects in this movie are fucking mind-blowing, I think. Like how great. Like it really reminds me that they, they must have been super inspired by like Rob Bottom and um his work on the thing because it's very inspired like in terms of the way the creature moves and the way it animates corpses and like limbs turning in weird directions and heads rotating the wrong way and just the the lacy corpse bashes its head repeatedly against glass trying to like get in and trying to get to these people and it's like nightmarish to like watch mm-hmm. and just the absolute like love and attention and care that's put into making these practical effects work and be effective and be believable is out of this world for this small, you know, indie movie that costs home. Uh, where is it at? I guess it doesn't have it, but I mean, probably didn't cost very much to make, but just such a great job. Like, like making those creatures believable and menacing. Uh, but yeah, I this is another one. Like I think it was a it was a Walmart special or something where you and I were out getting coffee one night and I picked it up for probably like ten or eleven dollars just on a whim because I had nothing else to watch and was just completely like blown away by how much I enjoyed this movie. And I think like beyond the practical effects, the other thing that sells it is it's just three really good, solid performances by these these actors, like whoever they are. Um you know, they sell you, they make you believe in them. Um, I like all the characters in and I think all the performances mm-hmm. are excellent. And I think the direction is just really competent. Um, you know, kind of... This is another one where this dude, you know, he's done like nothing. 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 He did The Grudge 3 and this and then some short films and that's it. Right. And I was... I, I actually watched this today. This was one of the last ones I watched. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watched Left Bank today. Full disclosure, because mm-hmm. I thought I could remember it, but then I couldn't remember it well enough, so I had to. Watch I couldn't it. remember it after a month, but yeah, <laughs> it was it was down to the wire. Um, right. 
but yeah, like I watched this today because I wanted to save it for last because I remember how much I enjoyed it, and I was just blown away. Like I loved it, loved watching it again. It's it's a really entertaining, really fun movie, and really I think like a worthwhile successor to something like The Thing, which is really high praise when you consider how much I love that movie. Um, right. I I sci-fi horror is really hit or miss for me, and especially like. You know what? It's like the thing, and it's like the blob. I mean, those are the two movies that's probably the closest. Maybe even like Night of the Creeps in a lot of ways, um, but just smaller. You know, like on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just really entertaining movie. Yeah, I, I I certainly understand why you rave about it. It's um, it's a really solid movie. Like I I think I in my mind, even though it was the thing's probably more apropos. Um, I I was thinking about almost like Night of the Living Dead, um, like that idea of like being trapped in one location, kind of, and um, trying to like fend it off and stuff. Yeah. And um, I really like things like that if they're done well, and I thought this one was one that was done really well. Um, you kind of like uh, mentioned a lot of my points, but um, uh, I uh, one of the things I really liked about this is that um. I thought all the characters were likable and like, I'll always, you know, um, bring that up when we talk about heart. I don't understand that trend, um, that started at some point of making, I mean, and you see it in the eighties too, but it's like, um, but it's like this, this trend of making characters unlikable so that like, you're almost like rooting for the villain or the, you know, the thing or whatever it's, uh, the monster. I, it makes no sense to me and like these are just kind of like everyday normal people that like you want to kind of see get out of the situation um the like there's so many scenes in this that i think are really like just like tense the whole movie is taut like in terms of its pacing overall um and like you said i mean i'd like those endings as well so um, but yeah, it's really well done for, I, I, I really sat here for a couple minutes while you were talking and tried to find the budget and I, I just can't find it anywhere. Um, but yeah, you can tell this is low budget, but I think that adds something to it in some ways, even, I mean, yeah, like the effects are well done, but it's, it's well filmed. And, um, because they ha- are in that one location, like you don't even notice that it's, that it's right. like that, you know, really. Um, yeah, it's pretty genius, honestly. Yeah. Um, like. And then the 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 principles, Paolo Costanzo um is probably the I would think probably like the one that people would know the most, um because he spent years um on um oh shit, Royal Pains, um that was on for like seven years or something on USA. He was like one of the two principals in that. Um but he um he was in a brief thing in the expanse and he was also Joey when they spun off Joey from friends. He was like the, um, like cousin or something or whatever is his, his nephew, sister's kid. Um, like, so he's probably like the most known out of all the actors, but, uh, this Jill Wagner, I thought she was really good in it, like solid. Yeah. And, um, she's like from Wipeout, the TV show, she's like an on-field reporter or something. <laughs> Like, so I think they just got like, to to your point about like doing one thing well, it's like, I think they just like took what they could get really and and just everything, like everything worked. 
like it just ended up like you know being this kind of thing where the actors worked out for those characters really well um you know the the setting worked like you know the 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 filmmaking worked and it's like everything just like ended up making this little gem of a movie so yeah yeah i i enjoyed this one as well i i don't know if i was like I think there was like higher highs in this movie than Midnight Me Train. Um but uh I, I think I was more engaged with like trying to figure out I, there's not a lot to figure out necessarily in this movie, it's just is what it is. Um but I think I was just more engaged in Midnight Me Train because of the mystery aspect of it. But um but this is really well done. It's really solid, uh kind of like thriller horror. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. But that is high praise though for to compare it like close to the thing for you um any final thoughts you on this no i don't know i wish this dude would have filmed more movies because i think yeah it's really bizarre man really bizarre um it kind of leads us into our next movie as well um this is uh number two on your list is a movie we have talked about you can go back to episode 162 the top five found footage movies from last year um to to hear those thoughts um, but number two on your list is Lake Mungo, directed by Joel Anderson. Uh, top stars are Rosie Trainer, Martin Sharp, Talia Zucker, and David Pledger. Has a 96% from critics and a 62% from audiences. Uh, Frank, do you just want to remind everybody like roughly what this is about before we... Yeah, it's a mockumentary, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. Um, that includes found footage. Um, about a family who's coming to grips with the death of their um, elder, their daughter um, and sister from the brother's perspective. And as the movie progressive, it unravels more mysteries about her and her life. And there's a supernatural element where um, there's footage captured that they think is her ghost, basically. Um, but then you find out that the footage was faked. But then you also find out that there's like real footage that actually does capture her ghost, including, um, I mean, I'm a sucker for it. one of my favorite like uh, horror movie tropes, which is like the the scary pictures at the end, like revealing and the zoom. You love a you love a zoom into a picture. Yeah, zooming to see like her her ghost on the mm-hmm. other side of the river, like watching them. Um, just a bunch of, or I guess it's her doppelganger, really. Um her future doppelganger i don't know whatever it's like yeah kind of unknown yeah Yeah. um but just a really well put together movie with great performances very believable um this another one that just it was part of uh, what was it like eight films to die for maybe or something like that i can't remember what the series was called um it was this and grave dancers it it was this and like seven other awful movies. <laughs> right. Um, but this one, just a random purchase, you know, for probably like seven dollars mm-hmm. at Walmart and just fantastic. Um creepy in the right ways, both like psychologically and you know, supernaturally. Um yeah, just really good, really yeah. well filmed, really good effects, great use of like hidden hidden things and pictures that mm-hmm. you see throughout the, the movie. And it really feels like a legitimate documentary, which is, I think, yes. probably the thing that makes it the most effective. 
is you really get drawn into like believing these people and caring about them in a lot of ways. And so it's, um, you know, yeah. and then when they show you the reveal, I think it's really just like, a. it's really, it's more sad than it is scary. Like, it's not like, uh, but like, it really is like super sad. Like just learning about mm-hmm. kind of like the destruction of this young woman's life. Um, and what eventually led to her downfall and her death. So, yeah, I, I mean, I've probably watched this. Can't remember when I first watched it. Um, but I've seen this like six, five or six times now. Um, total, like this is definitely one of my favorite horror movies of this decade, and and probably is on like a easily on like I don't know, I, I don't like putting numbers things. Probably like a top thirty list or something. I really love this movie a lot for a lot of different reasons. But I talked about a lot of those um last year. Um, so uh, two things I wanted to bring up about this. Um, I never really thought about it much, like until like watching it this time of like, kind of like the small twin peaks type thing that's going on with some of this. Um, yeah, definitely. Like their, their name is the Palmers, right? I mean, like, you know, and she's like a very like Laura Palmer esque, like being found by the water. Right. Um, like, you know, the family, like dealing with like the, the tr- and like even her friends and her boyfriend and all that kind of stuff, like dealing with the trauma of all this, like the weird like psychologist that you find out about, like that, like was seeing her like and they didn't know about it and stuff. I mean, th- there is a lot of like small like um, but it's almost like it's almost like kind of like you know, it's a totally different story. Right. But it's like almost like doing like a documentary like on of on like the Palmer family, right? Like it's um, it's a really I, I never really thought about that until until this time watching it, and I don't know. I guess it was like those kind of you know that eerie like haunting footage of Donna and Laura in Twin Peaks and the television uh-huh. show. It's like there was something like that, like watching this that, re- that reminded me of it. I guess like a shot of her, and I was like, "Fuck!" Like, <laughs> like how did I not piece that together? Like I'm so dumb. Um. <laughs> And, 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 and yeah, like, I mean, I, I think that the, um, but yeah, I do think it's definitely the acting. And I remember last year when we talked about it, like he, like Joe Anderson would just sit there and like, basically like interview him, even when the camera wasn't turned on, like in character and shit like that. And it's like, you know, so by the time he turns the camera on, it's like, they're like in the characters and stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it's really effective. Um, the second thing I want to bring up is Joel Anderson himself. Um, because he's never like fucking done anything. It, dude, dis- basically, has disappeared off the face of the earth after making this movie, which I think, to some degree, in terms of its lore, might help in some ways. Um, he he doesn't like it's like people have like reached out to like people that kind of know him and stuff. He he wants to do no interviews whatsoever. Um, some of the, like the actors from the movie, like they've reached out to like different people have reached out to, and like most of them like have not really like give much of interviews like about this movie whatsoever. Um, like apparently the guy that played the father doesn't like, there's just like no response from him anymore about doing like talking about it. Um, he is listed on MDiv Joel Anderson as being one of eight writers on this little two minute YouTube short that's called gravity with paperclip. Um, which is 
seriously two minutes of like mocking the movie gravity but it's like the thing that's talking to her is like clippy like the 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 microsoft paperclip <laughs> um nobody knows whether that's true or not that he actually it's actually that joe anderson or like you know or if it's just like a joke from somebody like seriously nobody knows what happened to this dude um at all like there's some rumblings that it's like there's a Joe Anderson that's listed on MDIB as like a producer on some sort of horror movie. And, but nobody again knows if that's Joe Anderson or not of that directed this movie. Um, really bizarre, like kind of like real life mystery um, behind all this, that this guy comes in, nails this movie. That's like considered like this kind of well-respected cult classic. Um, like one of the top 10 best found footage by a lot of people. Uh, and then just disappears, like just gone for fifteen years now. It's crazy. It's really weird. Really weird. It is really weird. What was that musician? Um, oh, oh man, I forget his name. Neutral Milk Hotel. What was it? Oh, yeah. oh, Jeff Magnum. Um, Jeff Jeff Magnum. Yeah, like that was kind of like him, where it's like they eventually found out like what he was doing, which was apparently just tra- traveling to like other cultures and like learning their music or whatever. Um, but still a guy that just kind of like drops some shit, like some great shit, and then just like kind of like, okay, I'm 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 just gonna go away. Um yeah, it's really bizarre, but um this is definitely one of my like one of my favorite horror movies um ever. I think it's like like every aspect of it is is pretty brilliant. Um overall. Yeah, I actually ended up coming back and doing like a series of tours. Say that again? Mangum like mm-hmm. resurfaced uh, oh did he 10 years ago yeah mm. did like a series of concerts and tours and stuff yeah i actually had the chance to go to one and i didn't go mm. um, which i regret i should have just done it right but i don't want to yeah. take off work <laughs> uh yeah that's what we'll all be saying about when, when on our deathbeds that will that's what we'll all be saying i know um all right, so number one on your list is um, the original uh, Let the Right One In. Uh, we talked about the American remake of this in episode 143, which is the top mm-hmm. five horror remakes as good as the original um, a couple years ago. Um, this is directed by Thomas Albertson. It stars Kerr Hadebrand, Lena Linderson, and Per Ragnar. It has a 98% from critics and a 90% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this one and why it made the list? Uh, so it's roughly the exact same plot with some minor changes as the um, Let Me In. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would come out a few, whatever, a few years later. Um, young boy who's bullied at school. Um, child of divorce. No friends, really. Um meets a young girl in sitting in the snow in his uh the common area of his apartment complex um wearing no shoes who he ends up like making friends with because she's like basically the only person that'll talk to him um she lives with an older man who is implied to be her father um but actually turns out is her caretaker um and also possibly like a child molester is the implication. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that she's a vampire who has been basically using she's been stuck as a child because that's when she turned and she's been using adults to sort of get her around and hide her existence for a long time and secure her you know like victims basically right. um so they developed this um romantic relationship almost although romantic might not be the right word but really close bond with each other um she kind of teaches him to stand up for himself which results in him uh injuring one of his bullies when they try to assault him at one point um movie ends with him uh, he starts to swim he gains confidence he becomes more athletic like he starts to gain friends but the family of the bully, um, like his older brothers, want to teach him a lesson. So they end up cornering him in the uh, um, fuck. Why can't the pool? The pool where he's swimming, mm-hmm. uh, and she ends up coming and saving him. And then the thing is on fire, so it's pres- he's presumed dead. And they sort of the end of the movie is them traveling off together. Um, knocking with him knocking on her case like he used to knock through the wall into her bedroom um and the implication being that he's now taking her taking the spot of the caretaker for her for until he gets old and becomes useless to her um also that she's maybe not a she that um is like a castrati mm-hmm. from the several centuries before um so actually a boy so there's a interesting i don't know homosexual like um subplot there sort of um that's really uncomfortable when you think about the older man sort of mm-hmm. um also makes it kind of poignant with um uh the kid that plays oscar um so when when i first i can't remember if i read this book or saw this movie first but this was like super hyped by Harry Knowles of Rotten Tomato fame mm-hmm. or um, being a cool news fame, right. um, which is how I discovered it and what caused me to want to read it in the first place. Um, and then saw the movie and really impressed by the cinematography, the acting. Um, I think both uh, Carr Hedebrandt and Lena Leanderson, who play Oscar and Ellie. Um, are really great like young actors uh, really powerful performances um it's a very dark and sad story both in terms of like both of them kind of just being orphans in a lot of ways and sort of at the mercy of other people um him being kind of abandoned by his dad and having to live with like this crazy mom and you know her Mm -hmm. sort of being stuck as a child forever is um it's just a pretty haunting story, kind of. I will say that I think that it is adapted better um, in the remake of it, the American version, mm-hmm. um, which is not something I usually say, but we we talk about that during the view review, where I just think that right. I think it actually captures their relationship a little better, and I think it makes it a little more um, heartbreaking and poignant, like the whole thing. Um, but I still think this is a fantastic movie, and I absolutely loved this movie when i saw it for the first time um probably the same year it came out or maybe like the year after 
Um, but yeah, really well filmed, great performances, um, the right mix of eeriness and romance and I don't know, like everything basically. It's just, it's a pretty complete movie and really well done. And it was really difficult for me to put this above Lake Mungo because I do think Lake Mungo is kind of a masterpiece in a lot of ways. But in terms of like immediate influence, I think that Let the Right One In definitely had more impact on kind of paving the way for stuff like you know, again, the Babadook, it follows the witch, like sure. those are 2010s horror movies. Um, and this is one of those things that I think drew a lot of interest because of just how much, how much it was talked about and how much, you know, people were really into the, um, really into the movie when it came out. I mean, it was like universally acclaimed when it was released. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. Like and it, and it was nominated for an Oscar, right? Like, um, for like non like best foreign film or something like that. Like, um, it won so, a whole bunch. It won and it was nominated for a whole bunch of awards. Yeah, and but it's, I mean, it's, it, it's one of those things where like vampire movies can be so boring, and we just talked about Thirty Days of Night, mm-hmm. which is a fine movie, but it's just so like trite in a lot of ways, and this is. I mean, I know it's like based on a book, and the book goes into a little more depth, but um, just so such a unique look at like vampirism, kind of. Yeah, it's a totally and, different take on it, right? I mean, than what we're used to. Um, even though Anne Rice has the whole like young child vampire thing, I mean, I think it's just like a real look that not not real but like a more realistic look at like what would this actually be like if these things existed you know and if yeah. there was a child vampire they would have to have some kind of like older caretaker to move them mm-hmm. around sure. to avoid suspicion so yeah i mean and that and that gets you know like dramatized dramatized a bit more like you know um in the Anne Rice stuff um even if it's brought up and really it's just like that character is just to serve like a in a lot of different roles and really has no agency which kind of works in that movie but um yeah this i understand why you kind of like said realistic like this feels like a more kind of nuanced subdued take on that rather than this kind of like dramatic flair of the Anne rice claudia character um but yeah i mean this is a good movie i thought like this version of it like the um Thomas Alverson like is a little too pretentious maybe at times um in like the way that he films some of this stuff and I'm not even saying that it's bad at all like in the sense of like his directing but I I thought like some of it could not feel so artsy um and I think one of the things that having seen this now because I never saw it is Matt Reeves like does a really great job of taking the story and making it palatable to an American audience like me and like not losing anything in it when he does that. Right. And actually gaining some things, I think, because I think it's a much more effective and like tight right telling of this story. Yeah. Um I think he like puts the emphasis on where things shouldn't matter more. And I don't know if 
that makes sense. But um, because I think it's actually like a long, longer runtime in the American version. But it's like it doesn't feel long. This felt a bit long to me um, watching it, where the American version didn't feel that way so much. Um, it could be a language barrier thing. I'm not sure with me. Um, but yeah, I I I won't say like I greatly enjoyed the American one, but I I enjoyed the American version much more than this one. Even though I still think this is a is a good movie. Um. <clears throat> At the end of the day, um, yeah, um, I didn't even think about it. Matt Reeves. He directed Clo- that. Was, Cloverfield was pretty much a start, right? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, so do you think it was like the recognition, like this, like because I know you said it follows at the beginning of this podcast. Do you think this? is like in that list of things like it follows and the Babadook and stuff like that of like what starts leading to the more respect being given to horror in the 2010s like is this part of the beginning of that yes but I think it doesn't quite have the same impact as and I would say it follows the Babadook and the witch or like your big three basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um because it's foreign and the fact that it's, you know, a subtitled movie is going to initially turn some people off. Um, so it doesn't have quite the same, like, wide range. But I think it definitely was a wake-up call that you could make an artistic, meaningful movie and have it have, like, a horror theme to it. Right. Um, okay. But, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of... I, I think it's really important. And I think the fact that it was nominated for so many awards and basically garnered so much universal acclaim that um i think that's definitely something that allowed more money to come into like actual highbrow horror if you want to call it that um, yeah the following years yeah i mean this definitely feels like and i and i don't mean this i i know i've used this term disparagingly um before but i mean this definitely feels like that elevated horror um before the elevated horror became like a, its own cliche um so yeah, that's why I was wondering if if you thought this was because it definitely feels like it has that artistic artistic sensibility that um a lot of those other movies um have or and I didn't know if it was an emulation or not but <clears throat> yeah um but yeah but I, I would say I'm it's worth watching this movie but if you're gonna watch one version the Matt Reeves version is a definitive in my opinion yeah okay um all right so. We have one more year left in this, Frank, in terms of 2009's list. Um, how do you feel about that list to give them a little preview before we talk about it next month? It's not as strong as this one. Okay. It's right. it's one it's one great movie and a couple of good movies and then right. Who knows? Okay. okay. I've 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 only seen one of them on that list as well, so um so yeah like be... love the one that you've seen yes that's yes i mean that's another one of my like favorite horror movies so um, yeah it's fantastic yeah and that'll be number one on that list right yep by far okay um well thanks for listening everybody we'll be back next month um with um 
2009 and then uh maybe next year with um a mark mark Wahlberg journey oh hold on frank i found something real quick um it could be you feel good about yourself this could be this could be the intro frank to the Mark Wahlberg podcast. Just think about it. Just trying to sell you on it. <clears throat> the MIDI version of Good Vibrations. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Deuces. <laughs>